you're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com, where we have past podcasts, blogs, and a couple items for sale. So check us out, beardedtheologians.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. I'm Matt Franks. Um, Zach Bechtold is out uh, for just a few moments uh, while he takes his daughter to the eye doctor. And so he'll be joining us shortly. But um, today we have uh, Mike Slaughter with us, uh, who has a new book out. And so Mike, um, share with us a little bit about the book. Well, uh, probably about five years ago, uh, I took our leadership team from Ginghamsburg on a retreat down into to my mountain cabin down in North Carolina. And we really, you know, wanted to wrestle, what is a disciple? We use that word so casually, you know, in uh, the United Methodist Church, we have a great mission statement to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But uh, a church member and a disciple aren't necessarily the same things. So we spent three days wrestling with this. Uh, If if this is our charge, how effective are we at, at uh, growing disciples? And I, the word there is growing uh, disciples. You, you don't make disciples, you know, it's a process of growth. We came up with, with uh, three characteristics. A disciple has undiluted devotion to Jesus as Lord. Uh, secondly, a kingdom of God worldview. And that's even different than just saying a biblical worldview because, you know, we would all say, uh, scripture is authoritative for faith and practice, but there's over 34,000 denominations in the world. So we don't all agree exactly on how to interpret that biblical world worldview. So a kingdom of God, which really um, grasping Jesus' understanding in, in a Hebrew way of the kingdom of God on earth, and uh, then uh, a missional lifestyle. So I set out to write a trilogy, and and the first one was um, I'd finished about four years ago, Renegade Gospel Rebel Jesus, which really focused on that undiluted devotion to Jesus as Lord. And I named three heresies in there, including the heresy of uh, biblical idolatry, uh, personalized faith, and uh, nationalism in, in that book. And so now I just completed uh, the second of that tri- uh, trilogy, which is Revolutionary Kingdom Following the Rebel Jesus. You know, too many people uh, have bought, especially Western Christianity, into this uh, Greek, um, disembodied, almost Gnostic, uh, otherworldly kingdom. And they misinterpret when Jesus said, my kingdom uh, is not of this world. Uh, Jesus' understanding of God's kingdom uh, was very earthy uh, here. I mean, the Jews expected not going to a disembodied Greek kind of heaven. but God's reign coming to earth, and that the uh, injustice would be uh, turned around to justice, that God's judgment was really a good thing because it was making wrongs right, uh, the restoration of all things. So uh, that's what I wanted to get into in this book, not only just Jesus' Hebrew understanding of the kingdom of God, because he sent us out to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, Right, that's that's the gospel. It's not just get saved, come to Jesus, but the gospel uh, of of the kingdom. So I wanted to deal, uh, set forth first the theological understanding of that, which you have uh, read in the first couple of chapters, 
so the first three chapters kind of deal with um, Jesus' under Hebrew understanding of the kingdom of God on earth, um, the, the people of the kingdom, and uh, our authority, uh, which is the living word. And then the last uh, half of the book really deals with the practicalities, how that deals with immigration, uh, creation care, uh, inclusiveness, uh, that um, all shall, you know, uh, be saved through Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners without asking questions. So the, the last half of the book deals with those kind of issues. So as I, like I said, I had told you when we were meeting that um, I, I was able to get through the first two chapters. And, and one of the lines that struck me was the line about, let's see, pull it up here. Um, the cross, not the flag, should be at the center of Christian identity and worship. And I know like for me and being in Oklahoma, it's amazing to see how often when I walk into the sanctuary, like the first two things I see are the American flag on one side and the Christian flag on the other side. Uh, and sometimes those are flipped depending on who does what with them, <laughs> um, but does not see um, maybe little crosses or even art imagery of depicting the story of, of scripture, you know, and um, that's always, um, I've always struggled with that because um, I didn't, I mean, I didn't grow up in the church. And so it's not something um, I wasn't raised or reared inside of a church building and wasn't even reared really. I mean, I, I kind of come from a Native American family. And so definitely the sense of nationalism wasn't, I mean, it was not really talked about in our, in our household. And, and then when um, I became a Christian, I had a pastor um, say this to me and it, it kind of now like looking back upon my years and, and finding out where this pastor's path, where his journey has gone um, and, and trying to reconcile those, the, the comment that he made to me was that I followed Jesus first and then the American flag second. And, and it struck me, even when he had said that to me, to think about where our allegiance flies. Are we, are we more concerned about what is going, you know, what our country is or how we're following Jesus? And I've always, I mean, I've tried to hold, those, those are things, at least in my mind, I've tried to hold into tension um, as I've walked with people. But I've also found myself leaning more into Jesus, even more so as of late. It seems like these last three years, I think I'm leaning more into Jesus than, than I can my connection to um, uh, our, the nationalism that seems to be rising, you know, in our society. Well, yeah, across uh, the world, the, the nation elevation of, of nation state. And um, it's, it's really like in uh, Acts first chapter, um, when Jesus appeared after the resurrection, they said, are you going to make Israel great again? You know, it's kind of a tag that's been used in America, make America great again. And I always thought, okay, uh, was it great for the Na Native Americans? Uh, when, when was it great? Was it great for uh, the uh, millions of, of slaves that so much of the economic background of this country was uh, built on? Um, was it good for uh, the whole segregation system? I mean, as I'm 68, I remember as a kid, Coney Island swimming pool uh, here in Cincinnati, where, where African Americans were not allowed to participate when uh, you know I was a child. Was it great for the Chinese who were virtual slaves who built the railroad systems uh, in this country? 
you know, I think that's uh, kind of that whole blindness. Um, and Jesus said, hey, no, 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 it's not the time to, and this is uh, my interpretation, it's not the time to uh, restore the kingdom of, of Israel, but you shall go here to the uttermost places of the world. You see, the kingdom of God is about all the kingdoms of the world. So I always say, if you have an American flag in the church, you should have uh, all 190 some, which represents all the, the nations of the world. Constantine discovered the same thing. It said for the first three centuries, the church refused to bow to Caesar. You know, uh, it was no, Jesus is Lord. There is no higher authority. Um, the, 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 the state should be under, and I, I believe in separation of church and state, you know, it, it protects um, religious organizations. But um, we represent a, di a, di a different kingdom. I am in the United States of America as an ambassador from a uh, eternal foreign government. So we, we live here, we respect the laws, you know, of, of this country. Um, I, I, I willingly pay my taxes, you know, and, and would even do more. Um, but I represent the kingdom of God. And as soon as I jump into, uh, and this is what Caesar saw, is the, these Christians, if, if he could subjugate them to the kingdom of Rome, then he could use that religious authority to authenticate his power. And, and they even put the Christian symbol on war weapons. And from that time on, the Christian flag always flew under the flag of nation state. And uh, this is where we misunderstand that, uh, you know, I have died. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So it's no longer my Republican thinking or Democrat thinking, red-blue thinking. I represent the kingdom of God. And, and one of the reasons I wrote this is, is for people to understand, uh, to follow Christ cost everything. You have to die to that uh, nationalistic identity. It's, it's not that, you know, as I travel around the world, I see how fortunate I was to be born here. But I, I agree with Bono when Bono says, hey, this is the accident of longitude and latitude that the um, starving child in Darfur uh, is, is no less chosen than me. I, 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 like, I love that idea. So as the Bible says, to the one who is given much, much is expected. Uh, so, you know, I, I was, I'm in my office right now, and I, I was looking at one of the, the pictures my son took in Darfur in 2007, and, and it's a little girl wrapped in a, a seed bag and because uh, I read in my devotion this morning that uh, passage that uh, whoever welcomes a little child welcomes me. Well, that means not just saying hi or give them a hug and a kiss. It means that we have to be God's hands and feet of love and provision for that little child. And so that's, that's as, as we're here as agents of the kingdom, kind of like fifth columnist in World War II when uh, Miami University, which is not far, Miami University of Ohio, uh, trained Americans to speak perfect German with the accent. And then they parachuted behind enemy lines to begin working in 
the factories and so forth, ammunition factories, and to kind of sabotage, you know, equipment and so forth. Well, reverse that in a positive way. We are fifth columnists. I love what my friend Will Willman says, resident aliens. Yeah. You know, wherever we are, um, infiltrating the kingdom of God, being the hands and feet of Jesus uh, in the world. One of the things we, we also did is we created um, a six session DVD uh, with, with this book. And I had four really influential young pastors from around the country where we just hung out at my house for two days and filmed as we discussed this. And it comes with a leader guide and so forth. So small groups can, can use this and re really begin to um, kind of share certainties and uncertainties with uh, each other, safe space. Yeah, I was, I was looking at the uh, guide stuff last night because I'm, you know, we're in the process of looking for things for the spring uh, for our small group ministry stuff. And I was like, man, this yeah. would be, um, uh, I have, I have a retired pastor who's looking for some good conversation and I'm thinking this might be a good one for him to have some of those good conversations um, to, because I think in a lot of places that struggle of who do I pledge, you know, like that pledge of allegiance thing, like who yeah. am I pledging allegiance thing to becomes a little bit difficult when they're in church on Sunday, they're saying a creed. And then, you know, maybe they're a teacher and they're saying the pledge of allegiance on Monday morning with their students. And there's some tension to live into within that of, you know, what's more important to me. Um, and, and I, and I think you're seeing that struggle play out in our society where there are people pushing back saying, no, you know, it's really about Jesus. Um, and, and, you know, we want, like you said, kind of be the, um, I love the, I love Wilmot's The Resident Alien. Um, oh, that's a great book. Um, and, and that to me, like as an itinerant pastor, I've always viewed myself as a resident alien because I'm in a place where I'm, you know, unfamiliar and trying to um, connect people um, to Jesus uh, in, you know, wherever I've been uh, located. And so that's always a, um, an interesting thing to have to wrestle with. Um, how does that work? You know, because um, it is like you pointed out, it is very contextual. Um, you know, you, you can do you can look at things one way in a certain place, but then that's not necessarily going to be viewed or even, you know, an issue in, in certain areas. Um, and one of the things that you had pointed out was the idea of love, that love wins. You, you'd said that uh, people will not find Jesus in our political alliances, denominational divides, or doctrinal arguments, doctrinal arguments, love wins. And man, after being at CORE this last week, uh, seeing that line kind of um, made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> um, yeah. um, especially, you know, when, um, you know, it was highlighted by David, uh, it was David Moore, I think that's who it was, um, that had said, you know, that the world has moved on from the human sexuality issue and yeah. we're clinging to it. Like it's, you know, um, and, and, and that kind of, you know, I think sometimes Mike, we, we cling on to things that we shouldn't cling on to. And, and we, well, yeah, uh, you know, I, I so agree. And, and I think part of that, and, and I get into that in the uh, third chapter about our source of authority is that when Jesus left, he didn't say he was going to leave us a book. You know, he said he was going to send a counselor, the Holy Spirit. So this is a living, breathing relationship. And, and Jesus said, um, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Um, I will be in you and you will be in me. 
And this counselor, the Holy Spirit, will remind you of things I said, but the Holy Spirit will also lead you into things to come. You know, things that are not included in the 1,367 pages of my, my, my Bible. So one of the problems, and, and it really happened um, out of fundamentalism and, and uh, as, as a response to secularism and the, the Enlightenment, uh, in the mid-18th century, uh, for, for the first time, um, Protestants needed an authority, an absolute authority uh, against the secular tide that had kind of taken over. And so they um, claimed the Bi Bible for the first time. And we're talking about, you know, close to 1800, mid-1800s. They claimed for the first time that the Bible was inerrant. That word was never used before that time. Well, the Catholics' response was the same. What absolute uh, authority we have, they, they needed, and at the same time said that the Pope was infallible. So both of those to understand and to miss all of those years of, of, of Christian history and tradition uh, before that. So in, in, in uh, Paul, so many times, refers to uh, the church receiving uh, his word um, he was grateful they received the word he brought to them. And he uses the word logos, which is the living word. It's that relationship, Christ with us and in us. The other term in the New Testament is grapla, which means written word. Well, we have one word. You know, the word is living. That's logos. Grapa means that which is written. And it was also used about other texts that aren't in our uh, canon, the grapa. So we have confused the Logos, the living word, with the grappa, which is that which was written. And so we miss in this argument because we're, we're not living in this loving relationship with the presence of the Lord. Then, then we fall back and we begin to worship the grappa, that which is written. That's what I call biblical idolatry. Uh, and, 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 and we supersede. And even Jesus said to the, um, and I get into all this in the third chapter, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search, search the grappa, the scriptures, thinking you have life in them, but they point to me, the logos, which is life. So for too many uh, uh, Christians, they look at, the, at the, the Bible like it's the meal. It's not the meal, it's the menu yeah. pointing to the meal which is the logos, the living word. So God is a God of relationships. And um, you can be right in doctrine and dogma, but wrong in relationships. And relationships went over do our doctrine. Or, or, and right now in the Methodist church, what we're caught up in is uh, doctrine over an issue. And, you know, it's kind of the litmus test of your faithfulness. No, it's why when Paul was with the Corinthians, he said, hey, this is why when I was with you, I chose to preach nothing but Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. So, you know, in our ministry at Ginghamsburg, uh, we've, when people ask, what's your stance on this issue? LBGTQ or anything else? We just say our stance is Jesus and everything else is conversation. And the church should be that safe place to have conversations and our unity, not based on 
what we agree or disagree with, but our unity uh, is is in Christ. Yeah, and um, you you think about the fall. I mean, the conversation. I mean, I don't know. Um, I know, like in like where I, the people I'm around, like you know, we don't, you know, at the table we don't discuss religion and politics, and and yeah. so like you'd go to Thanksgiving meals with family and stuff, and so like you don't talk about that. And even if it got talked about, you know, people would get, instead of sitting down and, and having conversation, you know, people would either go in the other room or, you know, Hey, look at that. It's a squirrel or something like that. And, and, and I really feel like that that has seeped into the church in a way where we could have honest dialogue and conversation. You know, it's like, no, we're not going to do that because, you know, we either don't want to make our, you know, we don't want to make our givers mad. So they leave but we also don't want to um, portray something that people may misinterpret. And so like, we're just not going to do it. And so it, it's kind of broken my heart a little bit that we're not willing to have just even honest dialogue of saying, you know, where are you? How did you get there? You know, like, let's talk about this in a healthy way. Uh, you know, so that way we can actually figure out how to do life together. Um, and, and you're right. We're so stuck um, in the doctrinal that the relationships have. I mean, you know, it just they just deteriorate because of the you know we're we're so set on something that I mean, I don't know when I when I read about Paul's story, you know, his his doctrinal stance changed a little bit when he had an encounter with Jesus, um, and and he became even more relational. And you know, and I think that we we forget. Um, that it is. I mean, really, it is. I mean, that's been the fun thing. I meet with a group of men um, on Wednesday mornings at five, about six thirty, McDonald's, and we're reading through Genesis. And the first day, we, the one of our, um, he's a, I mean, he's tw three times retired pastor said, it really is about relationships. Oh yeah. And I mean, it just kind of hit him, and 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 then it's kind of it. It seems like every time we read something, you know, we're we've been doing this for six weeks. We've only made it through five weeks of Genesis. And we found ourselves like having that conversation week in, week out about creating healthy, safe, you know, good relationships. And what does that look like in our community? How do we, how do we model that in our community when the world is pulling us apart saying it's, you know, no, it, you know, it's, you know, if you're a Reds fan, you can't be friends with Cardinal fans. And, 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 you know, in those divides that we have in our society are so much that it's, um, it, it's so hard to, to kind of navigate, not even hard to navigate. It's just hard. It, it feels so oppressive to be a part of because you don't know. All right. So if I walk in, you know, in Oklahoma, if you walk in in a red shirt into an orange shirt place, which is OU versus Oklahoma State, um, there could be a fight <laughs> over, you know, a, a university like let's be honest is that really something that's important that we i mean i've had congregational members tell me they won't red, wear the red shirt because they're an orange person and it's just it yeah it, it's kind of hard to deal with when you're you know trying to bring jesus to people you know what yeah I, I, when you mentioned cardinals and reds i i grew up just a baseball fan so when i was a kid in the 50s and 60s uh, my dad would take me uh, to old crosley field here in cincinnati to just see stars, you know, um, Willie Mays, all those kind of people. So I have a really big collection. Um, I have a like a pool table room uh, with a bar, and I've got all kinds of baseball memorabilia. Mm. So one of my high school friends, we just had a high school reunion at my house, and uh, he, he came down to the pool room, and he goes, 
I've got a Stan Musial uh, Cardinal jersey framed up on the wall. He signed it. Wow. Musial. And so he, ah, I, he, I, I, no, I, I don't even want to be down. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're Cincinnati Reds fans, but I've got, you know, all kinds of, of, of folks. I mean, that's just a, how, 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 like, how can you love the whole, but be at the same time, be this tribe, you know, yeah. I, I think, but I don't know it go back to uh, my Facebook page in August and you'll see that my wife and I, who are very politically different, went on vacation with, with uh, Mike and, and Janet uh, Huckabee. And you'll see my, us with our arms around each other. And, and I said, some of my friends are going to not understand what this is. <laughs> I said, we're, we're very different in politics, but we're one in faith, mm -hmm. you know, and that, and that's how, and, and, and I, I kind of put on Facebook, you know, uh, those folks with uh, political differences need to go hang out on vacation with each other. And then you, you see how like his grandkids would come around, uh, Carolyn and I every day, are you having fun? You know, and um, Rick Santorum was also on that with us and um, we're very different. And we talked uh, differently about uh, healthcare and gun control and education. Um, you know, we would be uh, really different on, uh, you know, those issues. But, uh, you know, to, to, and we worshiped every day to uh, see uh, Rick Santorum, a, a practicing Catholic, uh, just with joy singing nothing but the blood of Jesus. <laughs> So, you know, this is what the church is about. I'm not going to separate myself from sisters and brothers who I stand on, uh, you know, opposite sides of the political fence because we have one savior and, and our unity is not our, uh, our, our, our political or doctrinal differences. Our unity is in the spirit. When you're born into the spirit, you're, you become part of this, this community. It's not blue or red, even though you may vote one of those ways. I have a, um, so I'm an independent, which in Oklahoma is even a worse thing to be because we don't get to vote in any of the primaries or anything. I know. Although uh, the Democrats did open up their primary these last general elections, and I've been able to at least participate on that side. And uh, I had a woman, when I went to go do this, I was serving at a church. Uh, I was a youth director at a church, and the voting place was right in front of my office. And I'd had enough with the, um, I had enough with the um, party. Um, they, I felt like they weren't doing anything in Oklahoma. They weren't backing candidates at all. And I, I just had enough. I said, I'm done. I don't want to be labeled something that I, that aren't doing what I feel like they need to be doing. And so I went over to the voting deal and it's like, Oh, I'm going to change my vote. You know, I'm going to vote. I want to change my voter registration. And the lady's like, are you really sure you want to do that? And I said, yeah, I feel like as a pastor, it's better for me to be independent. So that way, then I'm not pigeonholed. Right. Then to be pigeonholed, and then only certain people are going to listen to me because I'm a labeled, you know, I was a Democrat or a Republican. And, and, and kind of similar to you, Mike, uh, my wife and I do not agree or see eye to eye on everything, but we know the big thing that unites us is Jesus and our love for the church. And, and you know, and even on certain theological issues, we don't fully agree. And we just, you know, hey, it's Jesus that unites us and brought us together, and we're going to minister together regardless of, you know, if I see scripture differently than she does, um, you know, we uh, we move forward together, and, um, you know, and Mike, that's been, probably been the hard thing in the sense of the church, you know, we've got, you know, we've got, especially in the United Methodist Church, we have this issue before us, and, and I really do believe it's more than just that issue, it's a whole 
slew of issues that are, but we're just masking it as one. Um, that if we really would just take time, kind of like you said, and let's go vacation together. Um, man, that yeah. I, I think that would change things. Um, I think it was about four or five years ago, I had the opportunity to go to World Methodist Conference. And to me, after being a part of that, I was like, man, this is what General Conference needs to be about. It's getting together, having, you know, times of learning, times of worship, times of preaching, and times of making statements, uh, and realizing that, hey, we're together here for Jesus, and versus trying to, um, my view of General Conference um, has been people trying to grab a piece of the pie that we shouldn't yeah. be trying to grab a piece of the pie anyway. Well, and there's a lot of problems there. You know, people are trying to preserve their turf, and I mean institutionally. Um, you can't lead any organization with 900 on a committee. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's no clear way to do holy conferencing, so it becomes political conferencing. Um, one, of the, one of the things through all of our struggles uh, in our denomination right now that is, is the good is it's time for new wineskins. I mean, organizationally, we, we, one of the problems in the United Methodist Church, we, we've confused methodology and organi uh, organizational structure with theology. You know, and um, th there is just some great Wesleyan theology of, of, of personal and social holiness. Um, but, uh, you know, where, where businesses got rid of middle management uh, years ago, decades ago, we keep operating under uh, 1940s organizational systems. And you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just like Phyllis Tickle said, I had the privilege. Uh, about a year or so before she died of doing a film series uh, thing with her. And um, I remember we went one night, I think I write about in this book, out to a pub and it was snowy and I had this 80 some year old woman on my arm so she wouldn't slip. And she said, you know, Mike, this God's doing a new thing. And she wrote about how every 500 years there's this dramatic uh, shift and I, you know, I'm really excited that you and I kind of get to live in th that shift um, that is as radical as the uh, Protestant Reformation uh, or the um, monastic movement in uh, the fifth century. Uh, this is just, I think, an exciting time to see what the Spirit is doing, because regardless of what's going to happen to the institution, uh, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell can't stand against it. Yeah, and um, that's kind of what I was saying this last week with, you know, they broke us off into denominational groups and, or not, sorry, conference groups. And I was sitting there with my group. Uh, and so we broke off in the 10 and I was sitting with my 10 and I'd said, I looked at everybody in the, that was part of our little group. I said, you do realize this is the stuff that they write history books about? You know, the church yeah. history books that we all struggled reading with in seminary. I was like, we're in that time. And how do we want to be defined by that time? matters what we do and so yeah we do need to change like we do it's time um like you said um we it, we've got to change the model um the world has already moved on from the model that we've that we're stuck in um and we do need to look for some collaborative practices and you know relationship building and um freedom not to feel pressured to be part of a brand and actually 
be part of Jesus. I mean, it just seems like the struggle that seems to be going on. And um, one of the things that we talked about was that there will be churches, and I would assume this would be more than just Oklahoma, but it would be elsewhere too, that would, if, you know, depending on how it fractures, um, that would just go with the brand because that's all that they know. They've never thought outside right. of the box. And, um, you know, I see your, I see your book, you know, like I said, I've only read through the first two chapters, but I've seen that kind of that pushing us outside of the box thinking and looking at the bigger picture and not just being like, when I first started reading this, like, oh, great, it's going to be another discipleship process book. And this is going to be something that someone's going to hand to us. And, and then as I dug into it, I'm like, wow, this is like, this is some really good conversational stuff that we probably need to be having any, you know, more so than just the um, surface level of the practices of like what is a disciple you know that sort of stuff yeah yeah um, while that stuff is important it's really about looking at the bigger picture and not just being so um we become so hyper focused on things that we forget what we're really trying to do yeah i you know i i really wrote this book um to really raise some tough theological questions you know, the same thing that uh, Resident Aliens did for me uh, 30 years ago. You know, I wanted to say to what, you know, God was uh, doing right now. And um, I even like, you know, I saw a proposal last week that there'd be four different denominations. And I said to my wife, I said, Carolyn, um, I, I don't want to choose any. What if, you know, we, we had more of a network that just said, hey, I'm not going to buy into this. And and it, it, it's more network than this uh, rigid connectionalism, you know, kind of thing that we have right now. Uh, I'm seeing young pastors, and I'm talking about effective young pastors that are just right now, um, especially they, they've been like an associate in a Methodist church or whatever. They're breaking off and planting churches that are truly Wesleyan, where there's safe places to disagree and ask questions. And so as I work with these young pastors, I, you know, I'm beginning to wonder, do, do some of us just say we, we, we refuse to uh, uh, make a choice? We believe there's one church. Um, we believe in the holy Catholic church, universal church. Um, and, and, and we network ourselves together um, with much more freedom to allow people, I mean, that we hold to certain theological um, understandings that I, I believe are Wesleyan uh, understandings, personal and social holiness, that uh, we're, we're truly missional in um, good news for the poor and setting oppressed people free. But, you know, that may be a new model. And I, I'm, I'm not, you know, so uncertain that uh, that may be a way I go. Well, and that was the one thing I was kind of reflecting on when I was driving home was that, you know, one of the craziest things about the church or at least the our denomination is that we have like the greatest networking tool in our denomination but instead of utilizing that networking tool and when we have pastor gatherings or you know church gatherings instead of creating space for dialogue and like getting to know one another what's the first thing we do we do a business like all right so we're gonna do these things and like we have to do these things and some of them are so irrelevant like or like duplicating a process it's like man, this is just such a waste of time and paper and energy and effort when we could easily be going out in our communities or coming together as one and saying, all right, so in our area, what's, what are some hurts and needs that we could address as a whole? 
and how do we want to do that? And and I think far too often we um, <laughs> we get stuck in the business of it versus actually doing the ministry of what we're called to do and supposed to do, uh, just so we can have some paperwork to hold ourselves accountable uh, <laughs> to um, for the mission. And I've, well, uh, I I um, you know, and we we have uh, two campuses in in Dayton. Uh, that we have done 25 brand new low-income houses. We have a GED program. We have a Jobs for Life program. Uh, the, the church is the empowering center uh, in, in this community. And so I, I was meeting with uh, Seventh-day Adventist um, denominational execs uh, up there on Monday. They wanted to know how to, because what we do is go into uh, dead churches and totally restart that they become empowering missional centers. And they wanted to know how to just uh, restart the churches. And I said, it's not about the box. It's really about uh, the fullness of the gospel of setting oppressed people free. You know, we have a uh, six men's in Dayton. Dayton is the opioid center of America. We have six men's um, resident recovery homes and then just opened our first uh, women's home. And this is what the church needs to be. And when I went to Gainsborough Church, uh, I mean, a little rural country church, and we had like total $27,000 annual budget. And now what God has done, and this is what Jesus said, the things I do, you will do greater things, you know? And, and I was, even though I live in Cincinnati, you know, I, this didn't happen in Cincinnati. This happened in a rural community north of Dayton. And now we have um, two, two campuses and two, two church plants doing this kind of stuff. Um, that's what the kingdom's about. And, you know, the ministry that's, that's just coming out of our four 501c3s is somewhere like nine to $10 million that doesn't come out of an offering plate. Now, right. That's multiplication of loaves and fishes, you know, and, and this is why we're there. And here's the other thing I think what's wrong with our system. Um, they, 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 they left me at Gingensburg at first for years because they thought, man, this guy's not Methodist. He's doing rock and roll church and doing all, you know. Um, but if I moved every seven to 10 years, I would have never have seen the fruit of what God has done in the whole Miami Valley uh, area. I was there over 38 years. Matter of fact, I'm in my 47th year of active ministry right now. And uh, in, in our system right now, they're moving effective people even under a promotion system, instead of leaving people alone to see what God would do. And, uh, you know, I've talked to some bishops and they said, Mike, you don't understand. We have 60 people retiring and we only have 18 people come in. We've got to fill these slots. Well, it's not about filling slots. It's being prayerful what God wants to do. And it's like Moses, man, that commitment is a lifetime, you know, wilderness. And even at the end, he only saw the place of promise from a distance. You know, but and then and then Joshua took over. Well, you know, right now, one of my disciples, Rachel, Rachel Billups, who's 38 years old and is a United Methodist, a, a woman leading the largest uh, congregation for a woman, you know, in, in our connection, which kind of makes me feel pretty good, too. Mm -hmm. you know, how, yeah, because it's a model that we've not, you know, it's not the white male denominational model. So in, in one way, this thing needs to blow up 
you know, so that, that we can really be about kingdom work and not just, uh, you know, we, we send pastors uh, to little dying places. Well, I was sent to one of those places, but God worked. Um, with it, It's kind of like I call it a spiritual hospice ministry instead of a, a kingdom movement ministry. And, uh, you know, uh, we need young women and men uh, who are uh, prophets, you know, spiritual entrepreneurs. And, we, and right now in our denomination, we have a very low bar, you know, uh, for ministry. And, you know, even Moses' father-in-law, when you read that in Exodus, when he, when he told about choose leaders of thousands, uh, hundreds, fifties, and tens, he said, choose capable men and women. You hear that word capable? Mm -hmm. And, 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 and um, I think that's absolutely, how do we identify leaders of leaders? So it, it, it's, it's time for new wineskins, um, not only in the Methodist church, but uh, all over the place. Yeah, and, and that's been, you know, <laughs> I've been kind of the fruit of the very um, <laughs> effective itinerant pastor. I've been, and I've been places on average now for three, um, three years at a time. And um, I said last night in our personnel committee, I said, I don't, I'm at my three-year mark. I don't want to move. I want to see what this could look like. Um, I want to grow the kingdom here because I feel like there's something here that we can go further and deeper and we can do amazing and great things. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm committed to stay as long as, you know, how old, how old are you brother? I'm 37. Hey, you're almost dead, dude. You don't have time I, to play church and keep moving I, around. I know. Uh, well, the next move may kill me and <laughs> my marriage because it's not easy to do that yeah. sort of stuff. Sometimes uh, we just have to say no, Yeah. you know, and um, you know, if I went back and looked at it, at Gainesburg, and one time they did try to move me, but it was was going to be with two young kids, too too big of a cut in my salary. Um, but um, man, if I looked back and I could say thirty seven, man, some good things. I came at twenty seven to Gainesburg, so by thirty seven, um, we might have been. Our highest point was forty eight hundred people on campus as attendance, but at thirty seven, we might have been six hundred you know, or so, I would have said if they tried, that's when they thought about me moving. If I look back to my younger self, I'd say, no, stay, you know, even if we would have had to become independent or something. Um, I went ahead the same voice I have now in our denomination, you know, but, you know, we have one authority and, and, and we have to really be prayerful. We also have to be accountable. I'm glad that the benefit of the denomination was I couldn't build Mike, Mike Slaughter's university. Right. You know, um, that, uh, there is accountability. And the other part of the denomination I liked is, is that we needed an external audit every year. I don't know if that happens in little in smaller churches, but I want to tell you it was insisted upon as Ginghamsburg grew into that, what was called mega church, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, we had to have an audit every year, and I, and I appreciate that there can be no, um, you know, fi financial, uh, ethical lack of integrity on that. So that those 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 are some po very positive things about being connected. Yeah, and and you know, um, Zach, we're glad you're able to join us. Uh, you know, uh, um, we're kind of just um, we're just chit chatting a little bit about the book. We're kind of been in and out of the of the his new book, and 
you know, Zach, as you uh, think about some of the things that uh, you've talked about with, um, what, that we've talked about, you know, what are some questions you may have for Mike? Oh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, what just what little I've I've heard and came came in on on Tennessee and and what our churches look like when we stay. Um, I'm in the same place Matt is. I'm starting my third year. I've been a good itinerant pastor, uh, two three years in places and and moving up and uh, doing those things. But it, there's there's not a lot you can do in two or three years to actually get going. Uh, whether it's in a church or anywhere. I mean, it takes that long to build trust and relationships and things like that. And, and so it's, it's uh, you know, you talk about that accountability piece um, on top of it. We, we've got to have both of, both of those things. And you can't, you can't build trust without a, that accountability. And, and we've seen the, the downside of that, the downfall of, of people in business and, and pastors and churches who um, don't have that accountability and just, it, it doesn't end well. And so that's something I appreciate about our denomination in the sense of itinerary is hard sometimes. Uh, but the accountability that it brings, uh, is helpful. So that, yeah, that's the paradox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. So Mike in the book, um, and I had just reopened it again on my Kindle and um, this line popped out where you say the words we speak are the true test of character. Uh, what do the words that you speak, text, post, or tweet reveal about your heart? Mm. And what's amazing to see, you know, in the conversation that you and I have had so far this morning, we've talked about um, some of the, the, the church has not really created a space to talk about those issues or we, we tribalize and we like, all right, so, you know, that's, that's a progressive church and they're only going to talk about these issues and, you know, versus actually like, you know, as you've pointed out, like really being kingdom focused, um, you know, what are, what are some things, Mike, that you can, um, what are some words of wisdom you can give to us in this uh, season of, of conversation? Well, I, I, I think what's so important is how we really approach um, like I have young people that, you know, in conversation with, and, you know, uh, they reject uh, the re rigidity or judge judgmentalism they feel out of the church. And uh, one young person just said to me recently, really smart student at the University of Cincinnati, well, I, I, I just, you know, to be a Christian, you have to buy this deal that God created the earth in seven days. Well, all of that stuff is open for interpretation. Uh, through the years, you know, even what the word means, it can mean seven periods of time. Uh, I personally um, see, um, you know, God, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind. Um, I see easily how God could have used evolution. I just, We have a four-month-old granddaughter, and from two cells in nine months, a human being, you know, who eats and cries, in nine months from two cells. Well, evolution for God, who stands outside time and space, to me, is pretty easy to embrace as God's created. So my brothers and sisters who, who don't see it that way, that, that's, that's okay, but let's make it safe space to just be together and listen to each, not argue with each other, but listen and, and okay, how do you come to that place, to, you know, to ask each other? Um, like you said, you and your wife, 
uh, disagree on, on things. My wife and I dis disagree, you know, on, on things. I, I had uh, a rabbi tell me once, he said, hey, our, our older rabbis uh, said, you, you Christians violate our text, meaning the Old Testament. You, you look for facts to create doctrines, and we look for meaning. And, and that's what I'll say to my, my wife sometimes when she says, uh, well, how are you different than this, than what the Bible says? I said, you know, that has always kind of influenced me that how did the rabbi, because Jesus came out of a rabbinic, you know, school of thought, that they're, they're looking, they tell parables. Um, so what is the meaning, you know, that, that I'm looking for? For example, um, I, I can't accept it as you read troublesome passages I put in this book. I can't, can't accept that uh, God told men that if they were unpleased with their wife on the wedding day, not convinced she was a virgin, this is, un, or this is biblical, she's to be taken to the door of her father's house and stoned by the men of the village. Well, that's ISIS. That's Taliban. Where'd they get it? They got it out of our old... Mm -hmm. Testament. That's that's not the God Jesus reveals. If God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, or that God told uh, Joshua to kill babies, women, you know, everybody, uh, that's genocide. Well, I can't accept the to me the argument. Well, that was God then. There was a reason, you know, that 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 God did that. Or or for me now, this is just you don't have to agree with me. I'm just saying listen to how I come to these places. You know, the God revealed in Jesus. When Jesus said, you have heard, but I say unto you. So he makes some corrections. You know, he said, you've heard, and it is written in the Bible, love your enemy. I mean, love your, your, your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus changes that. Um, what well, didn't change for God, who's the same yesterday, today, or tomorrow. Uh, or I struggle with the example uh, in the story of, of Noah, uh, that God would destroy, I wouldn't destroy my evil children. I would die for my even evil children. Well, isn't that what God did? Um, um, so what, what then would be the meaning of the flood? That the, uh, My wife and I were talking this last night. Not every animal on earth was in that ark. You know, so what's the meaning? That God is always restoring or recreating. What, what is broke, God, you know, recreate. It's the same story in Exodus. God delivers. You end up in slavery. God delivers. So I think there's meanings there for me, but I struggle with some of those literal interpretations. As a matter of fact, we all know that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are not set in a historical time. You know, historical time doesn't begin to the 12th chapter set with time and date in, uh, with Abraham. So it's just, so like my wife disagrees with me on some of these, but, but we listen to each other. You know, this is where we, we, we come out on these places. So I, I think that kind of community is going to demonstrate a radically different community than what we see with this very partisan division in the church and, and country uh, right now. Well, I did, I did, gosh, that's spot on because what we're lacking in, in our churches and in our, the society that we live in as well is community, this place where we can come and 
have conversations, have disagreements, and, and it be okay. And, and they be fruitful and healthy conversations where now it's just division, right? Well, right. you disagree with me. And so we're going to go be over here in this little camp and, and we're not going to have any influence or hear anything from this over here because they're wrong and we're right. Right. There, there's no space anymore. We've removed it to, to have these conversations. And, and it's, it's a lot like getting together at, at Christmas or Thanksgiving and, here are the things we don't talk about at the dinner table um, because it's going to offend someone. Somebody's going to be mad. And yet we need to be having those conversations. We need to be able to, especially in the church to have conversations around scripture and in theology and doctrine to say, well, here's how I understand it. Here's the meaning that I get from it. And here's how it informs what I understand about this, about Jesus, about us, about all of this. Instead of taking that hard, fast line of "I'm right, you're wrong," we're going over here, uh, and that's so much what we do. A great example: uh, a great young pastor who was on our staff at Ginghamsburg, but then uh, went back to South Carolina, uh, where he had lived and where his wife is from, is, is uh, planting a, a new church right now called Emmaus Church, and so he stepped out of the denomination to to do that. I mean, a powerful. Uh, young young pastor who is uh, open to questions, you know, a safe place for people to come together, not be restricted by choices, you know, put out by uh, our denomination right now. And and his whole purpose is to do, you know, just what you say. He's and he's probably 34, 35, somewhere in that uh, range. Uh, but to be a safe space where people can come. Uh, and, and grow together with questions. And I, I think that's, that's what I need. I'm 68 years old and I'm still growing. You know, it's like uh, the faith of a child, you know, is, is I, you know, um, I have more questions at, at 68 than I did at 38. But I kind of stand with uh, Rachel Held Evans. Um, and I got to do an interview with her, which I was thankful for. Before she passed and that uh hey uh jesus is the stand i'm willing to die for yeah and and i mean that's where this podcast was birthed of of identifying the space in social media and online that we don't there's not room to have conversations uh it's just arguing and, and right. there's not space to wonder especially around uh especially around god in, in spirituality. And so that's exactly what we wanted to do here uh, is create that space and give permission for people to, to disagree with us, to agree with us, to wander, to, to sit where they are and have these conversations in, and create that space for folks where they're not getting it in other parts of their life. Well, and I, yeah. And I, you know, I think this is what you guys are doing is, is a great uh, place to hang out you know, and, and kind of connect with those of us who want to move in the same direction, who really want to be about a movement, uh, not a box, you know, to uh, put in who uh, totally committed to Jesus. Um, I mean, the, like Jesus, uh, you know, I've mentioned this many times. He said, follow me 87 times, but only worship me twice. So we've exalted Jesus to a safe place where we don't have to take him seriously. So we have a bunch of fans of Jesus, but very, very few followers. 
and he pointed that out in the book and when i saw that i was like ooh, he's going he's going after those fans of jesus and um you know people um if people realize where they were you know if they realize that maybe they're more of a fan <laughs> than they are you know actually in the game yes um, I think that that would be, um, and there's, you know, there's that great book, Not a Fan, that actually, you know, challenges you to get out off the stands and into the game. Um, and I think when we, I think a lot of times people don't want to get in the game because of that vulnerability, um, because of like the whatever. I mean, I call it the butt. Your butt gets in the way of you getting in the game because there's yeah. always some kind of butt that's like, you know, um, I was talking with a, an older gentleman today. We were trying to get him engaged in the church and he, he kept saying, but I can't do this, but I can't do this. I said, but what can you do? And what are you yeah. willing to do for the kingdom? And, and I always, I've been really leaning into, and I found it funny that this week is the mustard, one of the mustard seed readings um, in the lectionary. I've been really leaning in these last few weeks when preaching and having conversations with you about using that mustard seed imagery. Um, and that um, on Sunday I said, you know, God's not this big booming voice. And I, I mean, I got really loud and really booming voice. I was like, you know, I've never had one of those experiences. If you have great, I want to hear about it. But what I've witnessed in my journey and my walk, I've seen more mustard seed moments. And I do believe that in this particular context, we need to be aware of those and love on the, and, and take more of those because we're looking, this church is looking for the, we're looking for the big booming voice that's going to change everything. And we're not realizing we're not living in that reality of the kingdom is here. And we're to continue to do those mustard things that disrupt and um, can do great things. And it's been fun to watch people start wrestling with that. What does that look like? How can yeah. I be involved? And, um, you know, Mike, your, your book's a great little, uh, uh, oh, I'd say little read. It's not really little, but it's a good little read um, to read through and want to encourage. I know you've got, um, you know, we asked you for an hour, and so I want to honor that time. Um, and so, you know, Mike, we thank you. Um, do you have anything else you want to share, Mike, with us before we uh, sign off today? No, I just, uh, you know, I think what you said, too, is um, like right now I'm 68, but my uh, life strategy goes out to um, 2050. Now, I was born in 1951. So, you know, this is my, uh, what I'm working for my uh, strategic goals. I want to plant 1000 new missional communities. I didn't say mega churches, you know, missional communities. Um, one of our uh, inner city plants, uh, both our inner city campuses are 80% non-white. And uh, one, uh, I preached there several months ago, uh, I had about 130 people. Now, its ministry in the community is amazing. So what if there were 1,000 of those with 80 people, 130 people by 2050, how they could begin transforming communities through GED programs, clubhouse programs for children, and, and so forth. And I think we all need to think the new thing God is, is doing, it, we may not even use the word church, it's missional communities. And um, like young guys like you who are almost dead, you don't have time to play church. Right. Yeah. I want to tell you what for you too. I do a, a five-day intensive at Gamesburg Base Camp. And they uh, are all young pastors. Uh, 
almost all identified by bishops as like spiritual entrepreneurs. And uh, we literally, I mean, you, you have to like serve in our food pantry. Um, we study together uh, during the day. We go out to all of our 501c3s, you know, the medical warehouse facility we have, car ministries, uh, clothing stores and stuff teaching how to do 501c3s. You two guys look at it. It's going to be the, the first of next August. Uh, and we only take usually 20, but we had 34 this year because Bishop Cynthia Harvey um, demanded she have 12 of hers to come. So. <laughs> but it would be a good experience for you two to participate in that, you know, to, you know, give you a vision of what you can, what God can do in out of the way places. If you stay there, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, right. and like I said, I'm hoping to be able to stay here for quite some time. Um, we, uh, two years ago, I got to go to church for all people. Uh, oh yeah. And I came back. Yeah. In Columbus. And I came back here and I was looking around. It's like, all right, I see some opportunity here that we need to figure out how to do. And so yeah, just trying to figure it out. I mean, that's been, that's half the battle. <laughs> well, this, um, this, this base camp thing ramps that one up. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, but again, uh, remember I was there over 38 years. Right. Right. So it's, it, you know, that's really key to see that, um, the, the length of time, but, uh, one thing we're also trying to do is create sustainability, um, and how we create employment opportunities and other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we talk about empowering, not just enabling. So if you get one of our cars, um, then you have to work so many hours in our stores and other places so that when you get it, you feel like, hey, uh, I earned this. I invested in this. So everything, we, it's very important to look at empowering and not just enabling people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's a great a great program, a great intensive. And that sounds just like Bishop Harvey to <laughs> send that many people and say, I'm going to do it. And she's had great, you know, great success with young pastors. And, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, man, I really appreciate hanging out with you guys and you guys honoring me and having me on here and, and so forth. So man, thanks a lot. Yeah. No, Mike, thank you for coming on. Yeah. And oh, you, you definitely have been one of our favorite interviews. Uh, it's the one we probably talk about the most when we talk about who we've had on the show, because we've, we've had fun with you. Um, and, and the new book is called Revolutionary Kingdom, Following the Rebel Jesus. Um, it's out now and it even has study books and study guides. And um, you can check all that out uh, through uh, Cokesbury and uh, Amazon. And we want to encourage you to pick that up. It's a, it's a good read. Like I said, I've only made it through the first two chapters, but I was sitting there last night reading it and I actually was texting Zach quotes out of the book. Mm -hmm. And then I was, I would look at my wife and say, man, Mike said this, and this is really good. Like, got to hang on to this. And she was just rolling her eyes at me that I was still, you know, diving into something late at night. But, um, you know, Mike, we thank you for your time. And, uh, you know, anytime you're more than welcome to come on. And so for the well, hey. go ahead. Yeah. Well, invite me again sometime. I oh, we will. We will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the Bearded Theologians Beardcast, and we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our Facebook page. We also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day.